Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 47th episode, and I am here ahead of the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, first of all, guys, last Monday, I joined the King of the Take podcast. I had Darnell on Break Bias a few weeks ago. They were kind enough um, to have me on theirs. I met Kyle and Trevor, great guys. Um, so yeah, we got to review the action in Jeddah, talk about some other sports also in the mix, um, and also a bit about my career. So if you want to learn more about me or just more about those guys, because they have a great show, uh, please go check out King of the Take because uh, yeah, those, those guys do put on a great show. Uh, also, some good news on uh, my front. I finally created a link tree. It includes uh, links to my podcast pages. Um, so you can find episodes on all the platforms that I'm on. Uh, you can also find on a, uh, a link on there to my TikTok, to my podcast Twitter, and to my YouTube channel. Um, also on there is uh, my email address, or at least an icon to a link to my email address if you ever want to reach out to me personally, um, whether it's podcast related or just other opportunities. Um, that's a great way to, to reach me. And then also on there, my personal Twitter, uh, Instagram, and what is the last one? Oh, my LinkedIn. Um, just to see some of the other work I do for uh, my job and uh, the basketball league that I work for. I'm a busy man uh, these days. Um, but let's bring it all back to Formula One and talk about why we're here. And that is uh, for the storylines heading into, uh, well, not just the storylines, the predictions as well, heading into, you know, F1 cars going fast around Albert Park. First of all, this happened um, pretty close after my my most recent episode reviewing the the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So I figured I would mention this because it's pretty important. Uh, James Key was relieved of his duties as executive technical director at McLaren. Um, people think it's probably because of their you know horrendous start to the season. I'm not sure if it really is. Um, just tied to these first few races, but I have some more information to share with you guys. So just bear with me. Um, his role as technical director, pretty important role in F1 teams nowadays is actually going to be filled internally, but not by one man by a committee. So um, Peter Prodromo, um, I'm definitely saying that name wrong. So I apologize. Um, he is an aerodynamicist who will act as a leader in that department. He's already been with McLaren. Like I said, all these are internal hires, except for Davis Sanchez. If you remember a few episodes back, I mentioned that he was head of car concept at Ferrari. He left and he has now joined McLaren. He um, will lead in car concept here again and also uh, performance. And then Neil, Hold Neil Holdy will head up the engineering and design department. So honestly... To have to think like to have one technical director lead all those things um, in a in a normal F1 team actually seems pretty crazy to me. So I don't dislike this approach by McLaren. They have three you know technical leads. They all uh, specialize in their own thing. Why do you know these three if they lead in those departments? Why do they need a boss? Right? They can just answer to Andre Andrea Stella as far as I'm concerned. Right? Um, so I think this uh, makes a lot of sense. The only thing that is concerning about this whole James Key departure is that, you know, this this big upgrade that was supposed to come to Baku 
for McLaren, um, I thought would have been, you know, under his technical leadership. So to just say, okay, gone is, is key. Um, but we're still going to bring this huge upgrade that the factory has been working on for quite some time. Um, obviously everyone still there is going to understand what the team is doing with this upgrade, hopefully. Um, but still, it just seems like this upgrade would have, you know, the bucks would have stopped with, with key and now he's gone. So hopefully McLaren is still confident, uh, that they're heading in the right direction because at the end of the day, this is a change to their concept and it's headed by a new person in the team. Um, so that, that is a bit concerning, I would say, but overall McLaren, um, they kind of did this last year where they started out slow and then they kind of built themselves back. So I'm wondering if um, that was, you know, the the issue that they had with Key is that two years running um, by the preseason test, they could find a fundamental flaw with the car. And then the rest of the year was just playing catch up. Um, and as a, a great Formula One podcast called The Race, I'm sure most of you have heard it, have pointed out. Um, James Key joined McLaren in 2019. Um, so you would think naturally, oh, okay. So the first car that Key would have had a real um, say on was 2020, if not 2021. However, when you're at the end of a regulation like that, especially um, come 2021, your focus isn't going to be um, necessarily so much on that 21 car, especially for a team like McLaren, who would have wanted to start the regulations uh, on the right foot come 2022 because that's when you know you, you build a great 21 car and then it, and then it stops right and that's kind of what happened with uh bmw sour in 2008 um well actually i guess it was the opposite yeah I, that's a terrible analogy because sauber actually um i'm going off on a total tangent here but sauber actually decided to prioritize 2009 instead of give robert kubitza and who was his teammate oh i should know this i think it was nick heidfeld um to give those two a championship bid they decided to uh prioritize 2009 and then pretty much every team was caught out by uh braun gp double diffuser uh <laughs> um but no so it's not at all like bmw cyber forget that i said that um but yeah they they're not gonna focus everything on 21 and give up um you know the possible fruits of 22 when they knew they were not going to be able to catch mercedes so um really this first the first season that Key would have um, had, you know, pure technical lead over the car was, of course, start from scratch, brand new cars in 2022. And McLaren uh, obviously fell flat. And like I said, they played catch up. So that's where I think the, you know, wanting to to get rid of Key and move on um, probably stemmed from not so much just these two horrendous races in 23. I think already in preseason testing, they would have been looking at, okay, maybe we need to uh, look at another technical director. Um, so will James Key go anywhere, though, looking at it from his perspective and not so much McLaren's? Um, as far as I know, James Key was um, kind of, I think he was a part of the Jordan team back in the day, and maybe I'm forgetting another team. And uh, Jordan, that became, I think it was Spiker and then Force India. Um they were always kind of known as, you know, did not have much to work with, but always did, did really well. So James Key was seen as, okay, this guy's overachieving with uh, 
less resources um, than uh, a big team like McLaren would have. So let's give him the resources and see what he can do. And it didn't really pan out um, as far as what he was doing between uh, Jordan, because Jordan has not been an F1 for a long time. And when he got signed on in McLaren in 2019, I actually am not totally sure. So I guess I should have looked that up. Um, but I want to move on to another thing that's been in the news before we get into kind of the stuff that's led up to uh the Australian Grand Prix that is actually this weekend related. And that is some of the stories about Lewis Hamilton moving to another team. And I know I am kind of late to this discussion a little bit because I haven't really seen much about this anymore because for the most part, Total Wolf and Lewis have kind of, you know, silenced those rumors in in a sense. Toto especially is 100% confident. He says that Lewis is returning to the team. And Lewis hasn't said, I'm going to be returning to Mercedes, obviously, because the contract isn't signed. However, um, he has said, you know, Mercedes is, is his family and he doesn't see himself going anywhere. But I thought I would at least entertain this discussion because it is so interesting um, with, you know, one of the greatest of all time, potentially leaving the team where he had almost all of his success, barring uh, the early McLaren years, right? Um, so to see him at his age, go to another team would be absolutely fascinating as it would for, for any driver of his caliber going to a new team, I guess. Um, so Lewis had said on that lie detector thing with sky sports, if you haven't seen it, I'm pretty sure you can watch it on YouTube and it is, um, a pretty fun watch. He said there that he would not leave F1 until he got his eighth title and the lie detector test said that it was true. So. He is obviously dead set on getting his eighth world title. I feel like if he had achieved that in 2021 in Abu Dhabi, Lewis Hamilton might be retired from the sport. I honestly could confidently say that after the disaster in 2022, he's already got his eighth title. I don't need to be building this car back up. You know what I mean? He's he's achieved everything he could possibly achieve in the sport. Why Why does he need to you know spend all this time building the car back up? So anyway, let's get to the only car that he could possibly win a championship in this year at the very least, potentially until the rest of these, uh, these if you want to call them regulations, before the big engine change in, in 2026. So basically this year, 24 and 25, it's looking like this might be just a Red Bull, you know, whitewash for these four seasons. So could Lewis Hamilton join Max Verstappen at Red Bull? Well, Christian Horner doesn't seem to think so. Um, he says what Lewis has achieved in F1 is second to none, but we're very happy with the drivers that we have. I can't see where we would be able to accommodate Lewis. That is a very diplomatic answer from Christian Horner. Uh, he is being as nice as he can. I don't think that anyone in Red Bull would be interested in having Lewis Hamilton in their team, to be honest, because I don't think they really like him. And I honestly don't really think Red Bull, uh, sorry, Lewis likes Red Bull. I don't see that ever happening, to be honest. Um, So I think they would much rather be like, you know what, we'll take our chances with someone else. Um, You can basically, you had your day, you can screw off. Even though a Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton lineup would be just ridiculous. Um, We'll actually get into that 
a little bit later. Ooh, teasing, teasing what's to come in this podcast. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of Lewis going anywhere, I really just, I, I think it's more of just a fun rumor. And of course, podcasts like mine, where I'm just here to have a great time and entertain the listeners. Um, it is, of course, fun to to think about something like that. Um, but as term, in terms of dream driver lineups, I got something cooking for you guys uh, later this episode. But first, let's talk about Aust- the Australian Grand Prix. Finally, um, I guess maybe not finally, because this this is kind of related to the Australian Grand Prix. But I really wanted to mention the first, you know, real PR stunt that Red Bull does with Daniel Ricciardo. Of course, it's for the Australian Grand Prix, and they posted this video on their YouTube channel. Daniel Ricciardo with a bunch of other Red Bull athletes. He's in the RB7. That was the 2011 championship winning car for Sebastian Vettel. Um, and Ricciardo is just doing a whole bunch of fun stuff. And uh, I guess, I, I don't know if they're landmarks in Australia or just different areas because, they, I mean, they don't really have any specific meaning to me. Um, but it was pretty cool. He raced against a jet uh, an off-road car. Um, what else did he do? He raced a sports car on, uh, I believe it was one of those like downhill tracks. I'm not hundred percent sure. I, I, I'm sorry guys. My, uh, other motorsport knowledge isn't, uh, a one that's for sure. Um, so I'm not sure what series that would have been from. And yeah, just a couple other Red Bull athletes too. And it was a very cool video. So, um, kudos to Red Bull on that one. They're definitely using someone as uh, as fun as Daniel Ricciardo um, for PR, which is exactly what we expected. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really, I don't know if I have much else to say about that video, just that it was awesome and you guys should go check it out. So um, tease up the Australian Grand Prix um, just a bit. And I'm hoping that we see a bit of Daniel this weekend because um, segueing into the Albert Park circuit, um, it's, it's a pretty fun one. It's a hybrid circuit. So that means it's kind of a mix between a traditional and a street. Um, does that mean that we get a bit of the Sultan of the streets, AKA Checo, AKA Sergio Perez? Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't think that a hybrid necessarily, because if you think about the tracks that he's one on, none of them are hybrids. They are all street tracks. So, um, I would have to say that, I'm not sure if this is a track that's really going to suit Checo's strengths, but only time will tell. Um, Let's not write him off because we're really rooting for Checo this year, guys. Um, I'm with Darnell from King of the Take. Checo is his guy. Um, I don't think Checo is going to be able to challenge Max, um, but that's what we're hoping for because that is what's going to make this championship fight exciting. Just, Just, you know... Hold on to him as long as you can, or at least makes it interesting. We don't want to see a championship wrapped up in Japan again, right? So um, last year, about this circuit that I thought was very interesting was that there was supposed to be four DRS zones. Um, Not a whole lot of other tracks in F1 that have four DRS zones. Um, Actually, there's zero. So four DRS zones sounds absolutely insane, especially after the two races that we had at the beginning of the season last year where um, there was a bit of DRS games going on in Bahrain. It was more so um, clever racing from Charles than it was DRS games. But then in Saudi, it was pure DRS games. And Saudi Arabia actually did 
make an adjustment to the DRS coming out of the final corner for that reason. But even this year, we did see a bit of Max Verstappen, again, more cleverly, not so much playing games, cleverly sitting behind the car going into the final corner to make sure he got the DRS going onto the straight. That's that's just smart racing. That's not playing any games by any means. But I'm just saying that is something that the drivers are keeping in mind. Um, and DRS was a conversation after those two races about, you know, these regulations are supposed to allow you to um, stay closer. And because of the lack of uh, air resistance that, you know, these cars are creating, the DRS has less of, a, of an impact anyway. Um, then again, so does the slipstream, though. Um, so they were, it was conversations about whether it was needed. And the rest of the season absolutely proved that it was needed. However, do they need four? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure, but I think that Albert Park is fun, not because of what happens on the track. It's fun because Australians are awesome. It's a great venue and the fans are just great. So it's, it's the atmosphere that makes uh, the racing in Melbourne so awesome. Not so much what's on the track. So I think adding something fun like four DRS zones is a lot of, is a, you know, is a good thing for this weekend. Um, but I guess I didn't even, you know, get into this part. It, four day arrest zones didn't happen last year because they cited a, a safety issue. It was supposed to happen. I believe it was happening in practice and then they scrapped it heading into qualifying. Um, and I specifically remember that because I did a preview episode saying there was going to be four DRS zones. And then all of a sudden come the race, there wasn't. Um, so that was great. Hopefully there are four DRS zones this time, but if there isn't, you know what happened, guys. That's all I'm saying. Um, but yeah, four DRS zones should be coming this year. Um, and I hope it does because I think it could make the racing a little bit more exciting, um, especially for, you know, maybe Checo can hold on to Max at the beginning stages of the race and we can see some Red Bull flip-flops going on at, at the front. That would be fantastic. Um, anyway, Let's look back at what happened in 2022 with the three DRS zones. Charles Leclerc absolutely dominated this one. And that was basically the end of uh, Ferrari's good fortune in uh, 2022. Max Verstappen actually retired from the race. He was basically Leclerc's only competition, but not even really because Leclerc was was really driving off into the distance in this one. And this was when Ferrari staked their claim. It looked like they were going to be the championship favorites. I remember everyone talking about it because Leclerc was on 71 points, Verstappen on 25. People were like, this is Ferrari's championship to lose. And that was such an exciting prospect because, you know, the historical team, everybody's a Ferrari fan. They were so close to winning their first title, their first driver's title since 2007. Yeah, they, they won the Constructors in 2008 because the McLaren was uh, disqualified for um, for Spygate. Um, but Constructors, do they really count? Of course they count, I know. But first driver's title since 2007. What Horner said in 2021 is correct. The driver's title is the one that people care about, let's be honest. Anyway, we don't need to be talking about Abu Dhabi 21. I mentioned it twice in this podcast, and that is way too many times. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I said, 2022, um, Charles was joined on the podium by Sergio Perez and George Russell. It was Russell's first podium in the Mercedes. That was also kind of cool because it, it was kind of like his first podium in F1. Are we really going to, you know, 
count spa uh, in 2021 when he finished p2 incredible qualifying but bit of a stupid podium um anyway let's let's get into what i actually think is going to happen in 2023 and uh well it's got to be between the red bulls at the moment right um I, i think that's pretty much the only thing that we can hope for is a red bull battle um christian horner did actually mention this in saudi arabia that uh australia or albert park i should say has always been a tough track for red bull um you know looking back of course max Verstappen one year ago had a retirement um in 21 20 there were no races there 2019 i actually don't really remember what happened to red bull in 2019 to be honest i think they would have been battling with the ferraris maybe they lost out i can't recall that at all i just know that bottas kind of started the season pretty hot in 2019 um but as long as the red bulls stay reliable and don't run into each other i think you know they're going to be out front um so it's basically we're hoping that they run into each other uh if we want a a result i mean i guess any sergio perez win this year is going to be a fun result um maybe i'm not giving him enough credit but I really do think that, you know, Max Verstappen probably will take off in the middle um, part of this schedule uh, and really, you know, stake his claim and go for three championships on the bounce, unfortunately. But uh, good for Max because he is just ridiculous. And speaking of Max, actually, some some uh, a picture came out of him, you know, of course, on a sim rig because Max is just the absolute racing hardo nerd. Um, he has his world driver's title sitting on a Red Bull mini fridge next to his sim rig. I thought that was like the nerdiest thing of all time. You know how many people win one of those and they're going to put it in a trophy case. To be fair, he has two. Maybe the first one is in a trophy case and now it's the second one. And now he's just he's just stacking them around his sim rig. Um, but I thought that was just kind of hilarious. And of course, it's in the shot, too. And on a Red Bull mini fridge, too, is also just absolutely hilarious but anyway predictions i was i was getting into predictions trying to trying to stay on track here um so for pole position i think it's hard to pick check over pole i know he just did it but like max was probably going to take pole in saudi arabia if he didn't have the drive shaft uh drive shaft holy drive shaft issue right um so i don't know why that was such a hard word to say drive shaft issue okay um Max was probably going to take pole though. Let's let's be real, right? So, um, can I really confidently say that Checo is going to to beat Max in qualifying in Australia? I can't. Um, I think that all the time, even when Checo has good good qualifyings, Max still has that extra tenth in him um, over Checo. Checo is a better driver in races than he is in qualifying trim. So. Yeah, Max Verstappen for pole position. I still think Checo will join him on the front row. And um, Leclerc, he is just an absolutely fantastic qualifier. I'm hoping Ferrari is going to, you know, figure out what the hell went wrong in Jeddah and just be somewhat more competitive here. So I'm going to take Leclerc uh, P3 and I'll take Fernando P4. And that would be a pretty um, spectacular qualifying performance from Leclerc, actually, if you think about it, because, well... Fernando was incredibly quick in uh, in qualifying here last year in the Alpine before he had the hydraulics issue. He was arguably looking like he was going to stick it on the on the front row, which would have been spectacular. Um, 
And of course he didn't. So keeping that in mind, if he's able to, you know, be really quick here uh, again, then he absolutely could. But if you think about the characteristics of their cars, Ferrari is a better qualifier than they are um, in the races. And Fernando is, is the opposite. The Aston Martin is quicker in the race than it is qualifying. So I guess it's, it's really not ridiculous to say Leclerc could qualify ahead of Fernando Alonso. And maybe we'll see a battle between them for, for the last spot on the podium. That is possible. So anyway, I got Max taking his 22nd pole position in Formula One. Um, and I guess I'll also say I think George is probably going to, to beat Lewis again here um, in qualifying at least, um, just not by the gap. He smashed him in Saudi. I did have that noted that I wanted to say. Um, but for the race... Granted, the Red Bulls get away cleanly. The start, um, you know, they start worrying about each other a little bit. And I'm really hoping that tension continues to brew between them um, and that Checo can at least put some pressure on Max and the team. Um, That's, you know, I'm really hoping that can be the case. Um, And, you know, maybe strategy or a pit stop can flip the race on its head. Maybe Checo, you know, goes for a lunge early and one of the drivers, you know, whether it be Checo or Max, don't really like how the other one reacted. That's kind of what we're going to have to hope for for a lot of this season, I'm thinking, is just kind of that uh, relationship to boil over. And because that's kind of what made the Mercedes dominant years exciting, right? Because Lewis and Nico weren't exactly getting on very well. Um, but I do think Max Verstappen is probably going to uh, to take this one. He'll be hungry to make a statement. Um and I think he very well could do that and arguably just drive off into the distance at the start. Um, so, yeah, I'll say Supermax leads the 1-2 uh, for Red Bull. Um, there is a bit of reliability concern with them, for sure. So who knows? There could be something uh, something brewing there for them as well. And I'm going to say Alonso does grab that third spot in the podium and, and bests Leclerc. Maybe we'll even see another Ferrari fuck-up because those are always fun. Um but yeah, I know. So boring to have the Red Bulls and Fernando on the podium again. I I just don't see how it can go any other way at this point, honestly. Um, but what could go um what could be fun, I should say, for the for the other part of the race, if you will, the uh back markers as I like to call them, everyone behind Red Bull, that could get interesting between the Mercedes, the Astons, and the Ferraris. Um, and also maybe with McLaren. I actually I'm going to have my bold prediction as Oscar Piastri, hometown boy. He is from Melbourne, and apparently he lives closer to Albert Park Circuit than he does any go-karting track. And he hasn't raced here in seven years, um, here as in Australia. He hasn't raced on an actual full-stop racetrack in Australia. I am taking all this information from the tease that he's going to be on Beyond the Grid. Um, Tom Clarkson does a great job interviewing people on that. And I love listening to that podcast. So great job, Tom. Um, and the, there's already a tease out about that Oscar Piastri is going to be, uh, on his podcast this week. So I'm looking forward to that. And I really think that Piastri, you know, coming off, um, a performance in Saudi Arabia, where you know he lost his front wing on lap one, pitted for a set of hards, and finished the race on those hards. Um, if you remember back last year, actually in Australia, 
Alex Albon started the race on hards, went the entire length of the race on those hards, pitted on the last lap possible, so the penultimate lap, and then did his final lap on a set of softs and actually scored points. So um, Piastri's performance was kind of like uh, the poor man's Albon's performance of last year because that truly was one of the best uh, performances of any weekend of any you know race last year. Um, Piastri's was still impressive, finished ahead of his teammate, and just to do it on those same set of tires and have some pace at the end is impressive regardless, right? So uh, I think Piastri's looked somewhat impressive to start the season, and I just, I've been adamant that I really don't think McLaren is is that bad pace-wise, so not only am I going to say Piastri scores, in the, uh, scores points, you know what, screw it, Lando's going to do it too. Double points for McLaren. I could not get bolder with this prediction. They, you know, they had Australia last year as a huge, you know, bounce back statement type of um, weekend. And then they actually went to Imola and scored a podium. Um, I don't think they're going to have that sort of momentum, especially with Aston Martin in the picture. It's going to be hard for any team besides those top four to score a podium this year for sure. Um, So, yeah, McLaren double points. It can't get any bolder than that. Um I, I, I will say this. I always fancy a good Haas outing in Australia. I feel like it's always disaster or just lightning in a bottle for them here. Um, you know, maybe we could see a good performance from George Russell, who, who like I said, got his first podium here last year. Um, look out for Carlos Sainz. He had a catastrophic weekend uh, here last year as well. He will be looking to also get on top of his car because he has struggled at the beginning of this season. So just a few other things to look out for before I get into uh, my next segment here, um, which I guess I'll go into to right now. Um, dream driver lineups, like I said, guys. Uh, so I thought we could have a little fun, and I'm going to reveal my top five. And to be fair, it is only of the 2023 grid. There's no historic battles between Schumacher and Hamilton. Okay. So just the 2023 grid, who I think would be really fun to see as teammates. Okay. So, um, I'm gonna just preface this by saying I tried to include as many drivers as I could while still being, you know, true to what would be the most fun because let's be honest you know the most fun would probably be with just every combination of the best drivers on the grid um but i thought of some other ones that you know maybe they're a little bit more low-key um but would also have some very intriguing storylines and while i was making this i'll say this as well i thought about it and i was like some of the answers that i could have came up with like back in 2022 I think we're seeing on the grid this year, like Ocon and Gasly is a very interesting matchup. Hulkenberg and Magnuson, like the suck my balls mate. Come on. Like that would have been great podcast material uh, to, uh, to say that they would be a fun matchup together. So um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, Lando and Carlos, that's already happened in F1 too back um, in 2019. So in 2020, 2019 and 2020. Yeah. Um, so that's another one that obviously I'm not going to say, cause we've already seen it. Um, but yeah, let's stop dilly dallying here and let's go into number five. And that is Valtteri Bottas and Sergio Perez. I didn't, I, I bet you didn't expect me to say either of their names in this, uh, in this, you know, 
dream lineup scenario. To dream about a uh, a lineup with Valtteri Bottas is a bit crazy. I'm really sorry, Valtteri, because I love you, but you know, uh, <laughs> are are you that exciting? Um, anyway, uh, the reason for this is you know, looking back at 2021, the battle of the number twos. I think there was a lot of debate that year about you know which number two driver was better, and I think that it's hard to say because. Valtteri, every time he was stuck in the midfield or just had random weekends off the pace, it it was more baffling to me than it was for Sergio because I think a lot of the times they could just put it down to, you know, it's Sergio's first, first time ever in a car as, as fast as the Red Bull was, first of all. The Red Bull appeared to be the trickier car to drive, and it was the first year in the Red Bull. So there was more excuses for Sergio. And I think he silenced a bit of those excuses in 2022 and 23. So I would probably have to back Checo in this battle. However, I still think that it would be just a fun lineup to see who really is the better one. I don't think it would get very spicy between them, to be honest. They're both pretty chill, level-headed men, and that is uh, important to to mention as well, I think. Um, and yeah, this one was just an opportunity to to mention two drivers that I'm not going to be mentioning in the in the final four. I'll say that. Uh, so number four, another driver you probably didn't expect that I'd mention is Alex Albon, and I have him paired with George Russell. Uh, you're probably like, what? Why? Um, but not only are they great friends, you know, George Russell actually advocated for. Uh, for Alex Albon to get him a spot in the Williams. Um, and both of them have spent time in, you know, tricky cars like the Williams. Now I rate George higher. Don't get me wrong. Um, but who knows until you get them in the same car. Um, now that I think of it, maybe this would actually be more interesting to see them both drive, you know, a tricky Williams and see who can get the most out of that. Um, my dog is just absolutely losing his mind at the moment, <laughs> trying to get in the door. Um, but he'll figure it out eventually. I, I'm not too worried about it. Um, <laughs> uh, Alex Albon, George Russell, I think would also just be a fun off track, uh, lineup unless it was like the only, I feel like what would almost make this, uh, lineup a bit worse is if they were in a title contending car and they were only against each other kind of like a Red Bull situation this year I'd almost rather them be in you know just a good midfield car and then just be like a fun lineup like a Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo last year um, just to see them both perform well in the midfield and just kind of work more as a team I think would just be a super jokes and funny even even Lando and, and George honestly would kind of have this same effect but uh I have saved Lando for the next one, and that is him paired with Charles Leclerc. Um, again, these guys are both friends, um, maybe not to the level of, of Alex and George, um, but this one is is definitely one I want to see in a front-running car. Uh, Lando, I just want to see him in any car that is good enough to win a race, to be honest, and then to have him paired with someone who we know has absolutely rapid pace. And to see these two guys who I think have very different approaches to racing, you know, Lando, I feel like is, is, you know, they're obviously both extremely quick, but Charles is more just like pure pace, rapid and aggressive um, and how he attacks a lap where Lando to me is a lot more measured. And I think um, both of them, 
the way they drive could, you know, maybe get a little bit annoyed with the other. Um, I'm not sure, but that's why it's all hypothetical. And I, I don't know. I just think I, I really don't know who would come out on top here. I think most people would have to back Charles because he's, he's proven it that he is, you know, high, high caliber in F1. Rolando is still somewhat unproven just because he hasn't been in a car that, you know, is to the level of even the Ferraris this year. Um, but this one really is just about Lando. And I think Charles is the perfect guy for him to go up against. So that's my number three. Now, you guys have probably been like, okay, if he's already done three, there's only two left. And you're thinking in your head, okay, there's three driver lineups that he should be saying, but there's only two left. I know. I will get. I will mention the third one. You'll see which one that is, I guess. So the first one that I guess I shouldn't call it the first one because it's number two. This one is Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. I know. How, how do I not pick this duo as number one? Uh, let me explain. Okay, so not only would this be absolute insanity, we, we know it, and I've already mentioned on this podcast why this would just not happen in a Red Bull, but I also think if this were to happen in a Red Bull, Max Verstappen would win. If this was in a Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton could win. Maybe not this Mercedes, but the the Mercedes of 2014 to 2021, I am absolutely backing Lewis, even this current version of Lewis, to outscore Max Verstappen. I me, Call me crazy. Max Verstappen is an absolute beast. I think the machinery that they're in would make the difference. I really think, you know, some people, you know, Lewis is the greatest of all time. If he was in a car as good as the Red Bull, no, Red Bull and Max Verstappen are an absolute unit together. Max Verstappen would definitely beat Lewis in this current Red Bull. I'm very confident in that. Um, it is so tuned to Max Verstappen's liking. It is an absolute, you know, dream pairing at the moment. Um, uh, if they were, you know, thrown in the Haas or just cars that they had both never been in, uh, I would probably still back Max, I think. Lewis has proven a little bit that these past two years he's had struggle adapting a little bit. And for a greatest of all time, you know, I don't think Fernando Alonso would have those same issues adapting to a car. Um, keep in mind, maybe Lewis is definitely last year, I think, was affected by the events of 21. Three times mentioning Abu Dhabi 21. I know I, I am just I am just crazy this episode. I, I can't believe it. I've been trying to avoid all debate with Abu Dhabi 21 because I have a very strong opinion that I refuse to share on this podcast. Um, I don't need to be losing half my fan base. Um, but yeah, I, I think also with this lineup, if they were both in a front running car, they would start on the front row all the time together. How many times do you think they would actually make it to the second corner? Uh, probably less than Nico and Lewis. I'll say that. Um, also keep in mind this, the off track drama of this lineup would be next to none. This lineup really is an F1 journos dream. Um, it would, they, they would dominate the headlines every single weekend. I bet like no one would even care about what's going on in the Alpine. You know what I mean? Like it would just, it would be all about Max and Lewis. You might as well call it, I don't know, MLF one. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible, uh, name there but 
Anyway, let's move on to number one. Uh, it's Max Verstappen again, and I have him paired with Fernando Alonso. How wild would this one be? If you're thinking that this one wouldn't be as crazy as Fernando, or sorry, Lewis and Max, then I don't blame you because, you know, they would both be insane. I think these were absolutely the top two. And I guess I'll just throw this one out there. I think Lewis and Fernando is another one that people would love to see again. Um, It's just that we've already seen it. I know it was only one year, so that's why I just kept it off the list. I didn't want to go and, uh, you know, pick lineups that have already happened um, just because, you know, it's not really a dream, is it? It's it's happened, so you can't really call it a dream. Um, But the reason I've gone with Fernando and Max as number one is just because I don't think Lewis is as, is as relentless as Alonso. And that's the guy that I would want to see go up against Max because we all know Max is relentless, but so is feisty Fernando. So the relationship I feel like could actually maybe look a bit healthy at first, but over time it, it could easily, you know, boil over to a Lewis and Max quickly because we all know how colorful Fernando can be, and it doesn't take much to get him going. So uh, I think just the interteam battle, um, and if Max were you know beating Fernando a couple times, you just know comments are going to be coming from that side of the garage. We all heard about what happened in 2007. Fernando tried to get mechanics onto his side of the garage and away from Lewis. The games that there were that was playing in the pit stops, like. You know, if Fernando was getting beat on the track, he would be doing other things to, you know, try to get inside Max's head. I think it would just be an absolute barn burner of a lineup. And I know other people have also talked about how insane this lineup would be if they just threw Fernando in the Red Bull. Because, like I said, Fernando, you throw him in any car, he is going to drive it fast. I just think the one thing with Fernando is does he have the ultimate pace that he once had or even ever has. I know, you know, it's ridiculous to say Fernando isn't quick. I just feel like how is qualifying his strength? I I don't know. I think that's the one thing that Fernando really hasn't had to like honestly elevate him to GOAT status. If he made better career choices and was slightly better in qualifying, he he could be the GOAT. Like he is really that good at adaptability and racecraft. Um, and just, you know, being a cerebral driver, um, and now I'm just talking up Fernando. I'm not even talking about the lineup anymore. Um, but I think you guys understand maybe where I'm coming from in this one. If you think I'm crazy for picking this one, number one over Lewis, I'm not going to debate you because honestly, this could easily just be one, a one B. Um, so yeah, that's my little fun for you guys. Just take in all those lineups in your head and tell me, you know, tell me that they wouldn't be fun. Lua, the the Checo and Valtteri one, maybe not. Maybe I'm crazy picking that in my top five. I just didn't want it all to be, all right, Max and Fernando, Max and Lando, Max and Lewis, all right, Lewis and Lando. Like, you know what I mean? It's just every single combination of the quickest drivers on the grid is just kind of, you know, it's it's obvious. So, uh, yeah, that that is going to be um, pretty much all I got for you on this episode. I'll quickly mention again, check out my link tree. Um, you know, I got tons of stuff on there. Um, my personal page, if you want to get to know me a bit more, I know I kind of gave this spiel at the beginning of the episode, but yeah, I just want to remind you guys the link tree is out now. Please, 
uh, look at it. Um, you can even email me some feedback. You know, if you hate my, uh, my top five, send me an email. I'm actually happy to uh, engage with the listeners. So um, yeah, that'll do it for episode 47 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 48 next week after the Australian Grand Prix. Will Red Bull's bad luck at Albert Park continue? Can Oscar Piastri break out in front of the Melbourne faithful? Can't wait to see what happens. Goodbye.